You're listening to Public Safety First, a podcast to help you learn about the First Responder Network Authority and how you can be part of the future of public safety technology. And now, your host. Hi, everybody. This is Brent Williams, the Senior EMS Advisor at FirstNet, the FirstNet Authority. And we're at EMS World today, the, the 2018 version that's being held in Nashville. And I have two providers here that are very involved in the EMS world, and we wanted to talk to them a little bit about FirstNet and how it impacts them, their impressions of what we're learning here and what we're seeing here at EMS World. Jack Rupp is with me. Jack's uh, an Assistant Fire Chief in the middle of Ohio, I guess is probably the best way to put it. And uh, glad to have you here with us, Jack. Yeah, in the capital area. Yep. yep. And he's also brought along his medical director. Uh, There's a a coalition there of about 17 different EMS agencies that all work together providing EMS service as part of the EMS system, and that's Dr. Paul Zeeb. Doctor, welcome welcome to join us. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. Glad to have you all here. So tell me what your impressions are of of EMS world. What are you you seeing that's new? What impresses you about the the conference this year? Well, I always enjoy coming to the conference in that, and one is I get to come with uh, our people and get to have some more personal time with uh, our firefighter paramedics here that I don't normally get in the station in that. And it's, it's, it's been a good conference. This is my second year coming to the EMS Expo, so uh, I've enjoyed it each time. There's good information in that. Went to an ultrasound session this morning in that, and so and went to a um, the heart dissection section. So there's always good programs. Great. Doctor, what, what, what are your impressions? Oh, I think it's been a great conference. I always enjoy listening to other people, hearing what other people are doing in either other parts of the country or even other parts of the world. It's a very good conference. But let me ask you this. You know, we're, we're primarily EMS people, and the, the physicians kind of have their own world that, that they talk together. Do, do other medical directors get together and really talk about EMS issues? Um, I've met with some medical directors here. We have other medical director conferences, such as the one put on by the National Association of EMS Physicians, which is every January. Uh, Eagles is another conference that is uh, physician-oriented in terms of EMS and um, state-of-the-art and forward-thinking. Tell me a little bit more about your background. I did a quick introduction for both of you. What, what's your background, in, in special, particularly as it pertains to EMS? Well, my background is I've been in the fire service for over 40 years. And uh, so part of that's been EMS and uh, been a paramedic for over 35 years. And so, and uh, um, before in coming into the position I'm in now, the department I was with before, I was EMS coordinator there and helped establish our ALS program there. So I've got, I've got a pretty extensive background there. Um, and uh, I, I was fortunate on my days off while I was on company as I flew as a flight paramedic in one of the programs in, in uh in Central Ohio. Uh, I've been uh, practicing emergency medicine for 35 years. Uh, I've been involved with EMS for just about as long. Uh, actually, I met Chief Rupp uh, as I was still a resident teaching uh, ACLS at his department at the time. So uh, I've been involved with EMS and interfacing with EMS providers my whole entire professional career. So any particular topics that have come up here that have been important to you? Any particular topics? Well, I, yeah, I think that, you know, we've talked about the ultrasound stuff and we've talked about some of the, uh, the the new things. So, I mean, I've been particularly interested in that. Been particularly interested in the research data side that they're talking about in that, uh, because you know, data is going to guide where we're at, what we're going to be doing in the future, and so to have accurate data from the field is is really really important. Think. Let's think about technology. You know, you mentioned the data communications, that type of thing. Have there been recent incidents that you can think of in, in your agencies or in other agencies around you where something other than voice communication would have been helpful to you? 
Well, <clears throat> I think that, that uh, some of the things, particularly in some of the, the areas that, that, uh, that we're looking at is uh, the rescue task force and looking at buildings, looking into our schools and being able to have data on a tablet that helps them negotiate through schools. Our school is, a, um, is a, on a campus setting, so we've got about 4,500 uh, to 5,000 people in a ca- campus setting. Uh, so for a school district, um, being that compact in an area, it pr- provides some significant challenge in being able to move through the, the school. Okay. So to be able to have data and be able to have the pre-plans and be able to have uh, connect cameras uh, that are on the campus, I think are going to be a very important piece for us. And, and Doctor, on the medical side of things, we, we mentioned earlier, just touched briefly on ultrasound, and that seems to be moving now from the ER out to ambulances. We're seeing more and more discussion of, of field ultrasound. How do you see broadband communication working on, on the medical side with actual patient medical care? Well, I think for medical care, I, th- I think the, the in the past, EMS and healthcare in general have been very silo-oriented. Uh, I think we need to move from that to more of a continuum of care. Uh, we see that now when we're talking about those time-critical events like STEMI, sepsis, and trauma. Uh, or even stroke, where you know what EMS providers do in the field is important and must be communicated to the receiving facilities so they can ramp up appropriately. Uh, you asked about ultrasound. I think uh, ultrasound is slowly coming. I think there's going to be significant scope of practice issues. A component uh, or a way to deal with that may be uh, where the uh, medics serve as an ultrasound tech. They perform an ultrasound procedure, so rather than them interpreting it, they are able to transmit that to a receiving facility where someone else can interpret it. I think that may be a good first step uh, versus trying to get them fully credentialed where they can provide uh, ultrasound services in the field and get past all the different scope issues. It's similar to what we did with 12 lead ECGs 15, 20 years ago when the first steps were that the providers in the field collected the information and sent it to the hospitals. Uh, and we've migrated to where they're now able to interpret those electrocardiograms. So I think the ability to transmit that data is very important. I've heard some paramedics, and and that's my background, of course, I'm an old paramedic from back in the 70s. I've heard some paramedics say that, well, having like video in the back of the ambulance would make it feel like there was somebody looking over their shoulder and and intruding in what they do. I've always thought it's more, it extends your capability. It, it provides more backup, more, more resources for you. And is, is that how you would see it from the, the hospital side, from the physician side, that it, it gives you the opportunity on those critical patients to be more involved? Oh, I think it does because uh, now we're used to looking at the, you know, the medic's uh, cell phone pictures of the scene. So we have an idea of what the mechanism of injury was or what the circumstance of the patient injury. I think uh, we all are a little bit paranoid about having video available and where everything we do is being videoed. But, you know, uh, our greatest risk is it's not what we do to ourselves, but what the public does with their cell phones. Um, so I think that um, you know, if we're worried about our behavior, then we should be worrying about our behavior now, not in the future when we may be video in real time. But I think there are tremendous capabilities uh, that we could use that for. Jack, at the administrative level of your department, when you made the decision to join FirstNet, to use FirstNet connectivity, walk us through that process. How did that go for you? Well, we've got uh, one of our firefighters that uh, is pretty talented and can write software programs, manages uh, a lot of our networks and that. And so he stays up on top of things. Um, being being out in April uh, at NIST uh, was, you know, we're well, well aware of the, the data uh, piece being uh, available in our, in our area. And, uh, and Jason researched it, looked into it. 
and uh, came to us and said, hey, uh, you know, they can provide us a savings uh, and I think that it'll work. Well, um, we wanted to be certain because we, you know, we had good coverage with our, our provider at that time. And so I said, let's try it. If, if they'll give us a, a data card that we can put into one of the medics that we know we're getting a high data use on, uh, I'd like to do that. And so uh, they provide us a, a card that we put into our cradle points and we ran it for about two months. And uh, during that time period, he looked at uh, the data service and found no interruptions. And so based upon the savings and uh, the persistence of the, the cards and our, our, uh, our network communications, we made the decision to change our vehicles over to uh, FirstNet. And um, it's been a positive decision because it saved us money and it's been reliable. That's a great comment. Thank you. So where do you see FirstNet impacting public safety in general, but, but in particular, where do you see it impacting uh, EMS? For Chief, and then we'll ask the doctor. Well, I, I think in, in terms of the data collection and reporting, I mean, that's where we're using it right now is that, you know, we're using uh, and switched to FirstNet earlier this year uh, as our, our data transport network. And so based upon what we're using in our vehicles is that our mobile data computers are hooked to it, our reporting computers are hooked to it. And so, you know, it's, it's the backbone right now for the exchange of that information. And then it allows us to pull information up from our record management system to the field. So I think that those are, those are things that streamline our event and give us more information in the field. I think uh, we have to be able to communicate uh, bidirectionally, and um, data is key to part of that. Um, the days of just a- operating in a vacuum, I think, need to go away. Uh, we need to have some idea of what uh, our, pa- our patient's past history has been, what interventions are performed, which facilities are providing care. Uh, often patients are not aware of uh, what their drugs are, medications are, and it may make a difference for what we do in the field. Um, so the ability to have that bidirectional communication, I think, is key. Thanks, gentlemen. Appreciate talking to you today. What do you see in the future for FirstNet? You know, so often we think of it as a smartphone, something, an app on our smartphone or something. Do you see other devices coming into play and, and, and maybe think into the future a little bit? What would benefit you well, in, in your work? Yeah, well, on, on the fire standpoint, uh, I, there's, there's great applications for it in the future. One of the things that, that our organization, uh, that uh, uh, our consortium, is that uh, we got involved with a company called TRX, and it's TRX System. And um, their focus is uh, location-based services in uh, structures that are absent of uh, GPS information so that you can track a firefighter through a building. And, and because of that, I've been involved with NIST and the Public Safety uh, Communication Research Group, and we were at a workshop in April and part of that workshop was developing a challenge to where we could facilitate in the future, hopefully, um, getting various uh, applications and providers into the marketing network to be able to provide devices where you can track firefighters through a building. And, and it's easy to map a building like we're sitting in now because they, they can put, um, uh, put tags through that building that helps you find where you're at, uh, your phone or the, the, uh, the devices recognize that. But the issue for us is that, you know, 60 to 60 percent of 
the May Days and uh, disoriented firefighters come in residential communities and in, in, in residents. And it brought interest to us because of the communities that we serve. We're seeing larger and larger homes. The community that I serve in, um, our average residence is 5,000 square feet. And so, you know, for us, if we have a firefighter disoriented, you know, that's, just, that's serious and we need to be able to find out where, where they are. And we need to also figure out a way that, that they can regain their orientation. So those are all things that NIST and the public safety research are trying to do is establish that. And part of the challenge that we participated in April at uh, their campus in Boulder was to develop a challenge to have providers come in sometime in 2020 to test their devices. And then based upon the testing of those devices, they would actually get awards to help them facilitate the development and the actual release of those products out there. And, and with TRX, the, the uh, first net plays an important part because part of their uh, application is use Android phones at this point to do some of the, well, de- to do the uh, data transport to the cloud as well as it has an app on it that supports, you know, the overall system. You have the relationship with TRX coming out of the, the PSCR program, the Challenge Grant program there. Um, tell us a little more about how you're going to be using that, what it's going to do, what you hope to learn from it. Well, when we first started out with uh, TRX, and in, in, uh, we've been uh, uh, involved with them in a testing capacity for a number of years now, um, we were looking at how do we communicate with the devices out to a computer so there's a visual representation of a firefighter moving through a residence. And, and we insisted that um, communication link needed to be something other than a public network just because of problems in particularly residents with cell networks at the time. And we attempted at first to use the data side of a land, the land mobile radio system as a Motorola system. And it worked, but it didn't work well because it couldn't deliver enough packets because the location-based services requires so much data uh, that we could maybe put four devices on there, uh, but beyond four devices, you know, it, it just it didn't work. It didn't work. And so, you know, at, at an incident, we're going to look at, at least in, in our community um, and in central Ohio, we put, you know, an, on an average on a, a report of a fire, 18 to 20 firefighters on a scene. So if we want to track all of those, naturally, it's not going to work that way. So we've moved to an Android device, and the Android devices that we're testing are on the first network. And just because of the magnitude of the data, and they seem to be working real well, and the other piece that it's given us is before, um, the only person that had an opportunity to be able to see um, the location of the firefighter, uh, in the case of a downed firefighter, or where they were moving and trying to determine uh, a rescue path, or you know when they're doing searches, was somebody with a computer um, in a command post or at a dispatch center. Now, with the Android devices, other people, users, can pull up an Android app and actually look at where people are moving about the, uh, the incident and the indoor services. So that, that data piece and the amount of data that, that it's got to be able to take and move to be able to accomplish that uh, is... Um, requires a pretty healthy network. Doctor, what would you like to see in terms of, of technology, devices, capabilities that, that FirstNet would enable? I, I think uh, a couple easy examples are, um, you know, 
One would be a, a, a ability of our uh, community paramedics or even our street providers to access patient information via uh, health uh, information data exchange. Uh, I think that's huge. I think another uh, real, real world opportunity is uh, telemedicine with the ability to have a, a nurse or a physician assist the EMS provider in terms of treatment decisions and uh, decisions regarding transport. So I think uh, one of the key areas of focus in the next five to 10 years, um, both for EMS providers and for healthcare payers is going to be taking patients to alternative treatment uh, locations. And uh, you need to do that, I think we're gonna need to have telehealth available. And I think that's gonna require assured uh, broadband communication capabilities uh, so that you can make those decisions and, and evaluate patients real time. Yeah, that, that higher level decision making. Correct. That's, and I, I that's think, really I, the key. Yeah, I think there's going to be a big push. There is already a big push to take patients to alternative treatment locations. I think the easiest first step would be patients with psychiatric illness. If we could provide medical clearance um, in the field, uh, regardless of time of day, and move the patient to an appropriate psychiatric facility rather than burden emergency departments with the, the psychiatric patients, uh, I think that would be a big first step. Yeah, medicine is certainly changing, all of medicine. And uh, this, the, what you've touched on here are just some of the issues that are, are changing. Yeah, and I think a lot of it's going to be driven by the payers. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that would also involve, uh, give us an opportunity to involve them in the thought process, but also in a means of covering the cost of providing these services. And that's a whole other issue, right? If we get into the, the payer system, and could be for good or for ill, I guess. But uh, yeah, that, you're exactly right. But that's for that to work, you have to have broadband. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, I have to ask, t tell me what drives you to do this. You know, people who are involved working in public safety, working in medicine, it, it's a real calling. And uh, so just each of you share a little bit with us about why you do this. What, what is it that, that drives you to get up in the morning and do what you do for, for both of you? Well, I'll tell you, I actually retired once. And, and um, uh, I guess I got bored, missed it so much that I, w I went back. And so, and, and really when I went back, I didn't figure that, that, that I would go back for a real long period of time, but just seeing, you know, the growth of our department and the evolution of our department and uh, the kind of staff that we have in the community that we're in, it just re-energizes me. And, and looking at the possibilities, I've got three sons that are in the fire service, and so to, you know, to improve things that even might uh, vastly affect them because they're not in the same area, you know, they're in different parts. But uh, to be able to do things with TRX and be able to do things with NIST and uh, the public safety research are things that just keep me energized. And uh, so I'm probably not going to walk away very soon. Well, for me, it's, it's, it's about uh, providing service to the community and our patients in the community. Um, I also liked the opportunities to be innovative, and I actually... I enjoy the can-do attitude of EMS, uh, which, you know, when you're used to working in a, in a hospital, uh, which in itself is a, an administrative behemoth, um, you're able to get things done, I think, uh, more quickly uh, and with a more positive attitude in working with pre-hospital providers. You know, it, it doesn't matter what the circumstance is, you still have to deal with the situation at hand. Uh, you can't put it off. Uh, so I, I kind of enjoy that can-do attitude. Great to hear. Well, gentlemen, thanks for talking with us today. Uh, Jack Rupp, uh, an assistant fire chief, and, and uh, Dr. Paul Zeeb, medical director in, in, there in Central Ohio. And Any f closing thoughts? Any closing thoughts? Well, I think that, that uh, everybody should take an opportunity to uh, take a look at NIST and uh, the work that they're doing with uh, the public safety communication research 
and uh, I know they're they're very actively involved in in helping with FirstNet and the facilitation of getting FirstNet out there, and then just all the capabilities that will come down the lo- the road through the cooperation of uh, both government agencies. Uh, I guess for me, uh, it's uh, there's going to be bumps in the road, but keep moving forward uh, because times are changing, and I think. Uh, our goal should be to stay ahead of the curve rather than try to catch up. Thanks, gentlemen. Appreciate talking to you. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. We're excited to have you join our podcast community. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. You can learn more about the First Responder Network Authority at firstnet.gov and learn about FirstNet products and services at firstnet.com.